Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for the ASHP Advocating for Impact podcast, where every episode covers a policy issue impacting the practice of pharmacy. I'm Tom Krause. Today, I'm joined by Jillian Schulte-Wall, ASHP's Senior Director of Health and Regulatory Policy. Today, we're going to do an update from Washington. We'll take you through some of the top issues ASHP advocacy is focused on this month. I'll share some recent legislative updates from Congress, and Jillian will update us on some recent regulatory actions from the agencies here in Washington. There are four main issues that we're tracking in Washington from Congress. The FDA user fee bill, telehealth legislation, legislation relating to mental health that addresses the X waiver, as well as a PBM bill that's actually incorporated in that mental health legislation. And then finally, a reconciliation package that addresses drug pricing. So the FDA user fee might seem like kind of a wonky issue. It's important for us to think about as pharmacists, and there's several reasons why. Number one, the FDA is an agency that is funded in part by appropriations from Congress. So that's money that comes out of the federal treasury, but it's also funded in part by fees that are imposed on drug manufacturers and device manufacturers for getting a drug or device reviewed. The payment of that fee doesn't determine the outcome of the review, but it's part of the funding that goes into the agency's budget when they review these products. Because it is an important piece of that review, if that legislation doesn't get passed, then the agency can't effectively review drugs and devices anywhere near as quickly as it otherwise would. And that would really be disruptive to drug discovery and new product launches in this country, including generic products. So for those reasons, this is always viewed as a must-pass piece of legislation. We very often see Republicans and Democrats coming together to pass the FDA user fee bill. But because it's seen as must-pass legislation, it often gets amended to pull along other policy proposals that relate to the FDA, but aren't directly part of the user fee bill. And so this year, what's happening is there are several amendments that have been added that are making this more controversial than it might normally be. So one of those provisions is to allow the FDA to regulate dietary supplements, and lab-developed tests. ASHP has for a long time wanted FDA to take a stronger role in oversight of dietary supplements. So this is something we are very interested in. Provisions related to generic manufacturers and how the first generic manufacturer gets to come to market with a little bit of a benefit. And so what this is, is in order to encourage drug manufacturers to challenge the innovator product, bring a new generic to market, the government tells the first generic manufacturer that they can get 180 days of exclusivity as the only generic. And that lets them capture some market share. They get a little bit of a price premium during that period. And so there's a benefit to being the company that's willing to go challenge a patent and try to bring a new generic drug to market. The problem is that 180-day exclusivity that those generic manufacturers get, that clock doesn't start to tick until they actually bring their drug to the market. And if they don't bring their drug to the market, then we're sort of in this purgatory where they haven't acted yet, but it blocks other generic manufacturers from coming to market. And so that's a problem. What this additional provision is trying to do is say to generic manufacturers, if you don't bring your generic to the market, then FDA gets to move on and approve someone else who is going to bring the drug to market. 
So that's another controversial provision. And then finally, there's a question of whether orphan exclusivity that FDA can grant to drugs for orphan indications, whether that exclusivity, it's like a special incentive that these manufacturers get to bring their products to market for orphan diseases. The question is whether those drugs, the special exclusivity they get applies only to that indication or to all drugs for that whole condition. And so that's another question that's being debated in Congress. So I expect that this will get resolved. Some members of Congress are saying, look, we just want to pass the user fee bill cleanly without any of these additional amendments. And other policymakers are pushing for these amendments. So we'll keep you updated on this. Some of these, we've definitely encouraged greater ability for generic manufacturers to get to market. We don't want those to be blocked. We've certainly supported regulation of dietary supplements. So these are issues that we are engaging on and more to come on this. My expectation is that this will pass. But if this does not pass, at the end of August, we're going to start to see FDA have to make a plan for how it's going to operate for some period without user fees. And that could really be disruptive to drug manufacturing in this country. Another piece of legislation we are closely tracking is telehealth legislation. This is primarily focused on extending flexibilities for telehealth through the Medicare program. So as a result of COVID-19, the Medicare program allowed a lot more flexibility for telehealth, including letting patient relationships be initiated through telehealth, as opposed to having an initial interaction with a patient in person and then following on with some telehealth visits. One thing that it does not include that we are supporting and would like to see included is allowing telehealth prescribing of medications for opioid use disorder, allowing that to continue. So there are some patients whom during COVID-19 started receiving therapy for medications for opioid use disorder, they may not have had an in-person visit. It may be an entirely telehealth relationship. And we don't want to see those patients encounter barriers to their care because they haven't had an in-person visit. So that's another important piece of legislation we're watching. The House of Representatives recently passed another bill that captures two provisions of interest to ASHP. One relates to the X waiver, one relates to PBMs. The X waiver as many folks will remember, is a federal limitation on who can prescribe medications for opioid use disorder. And it was initially designed to prevent abuse of medications for opioid use disorder. You know, they didn't want a single physician to be ordering a large number of these scripts inappropriately. And so there was a lot of law enforcement interest in this. I think that is really not what has played out at all. In fact, the reverse has happened. There's been significant access barrier to medications for opioid use disorder because of this X waiver requirement. The other challenge is that pharmacists are not eligible for the X waiver, even in states where they are otherwise license to order controlled substances. And so that doesn't make sense that a pharmacist in those states could order a controlled substance, but not medications for opioid use disorder to assist a patient that is struggling with opioid use. So that is something that we're watching. The legislation would eliminate those barriers entirely at the federal level. And then so the ability to prescribe those medications would really be governed by state law. There would still be DEA oversight of those medications, but the licensure of providers would be entirely controlled by the state legislation. For pharmacists, what that would mean is in those states that allow pharmacists to 
order controlled substances, the federal barrier would no longer be in place. And so they would be allowed to order those medications, including medications for opioid use disorder. The other piece of that same bill relates to PBMs, and it's a requirement that pharmacy benefit managers disclose data about dispensing of drugs and information about the rebates and acquisition costs that they receive for drugs. It would also provide for transparency about patient assistance programs and funding received for those programs. So we are in general supportive of PBM, greater transparency around PBM activities. So that's something we're watching. We hope to see these pass the Senate. Again, those are both the PBM provision and the ex-waiver provision are part of the same legislation. And then finally, the budget reconciliation bill is going to be receiving a lot of attention over the next few days. You may have heard discussion about the environmental provisions about this bill, but there's also pieces that relate to drug pricing. The provisions allow for the Medicare program to negotiate drug prices for certain drugs, and then it also caps out-of-pocket spending for Medicare Part D beneficiaries. This is still evolving. There's not been a lot of public debate about this. It's being considered through a process which would allow legislation to be passed with just a simple majority in Congress as opposed to a 60-vote threshold. As a result of that, there are a lot of procedural hurdles that have to be cleared to make sure that this legislation has an impact on the federal budget. That's sort of the determinant of when they can use this reconciliation process. It's also going to be controversial as a result of potential to be passed in the Senate by a bare majority. That means it will likely be a completely partisan bill. So that's going to be controversial. We'll see how that plays out, but I want you to be aware of those drug pricing provisions, and that Medicare Part D out-of-pocket cap, ASHP will be providing more information about that provision as we learn more about it. So that's a quick recap of what's going on in Washington in Congress. Now I want to turn to Jill Ann to tell us about what's going on in the regulatory agencies. Thanks, Tom. So on the regulatory side, we are in the sort of swing of payment rule season. So in July, CMS released both the physician fee schedule for 2023 and the outpatient perspective payment system for hospitals for 2023. So I'm just going to give you a couple of the big highlights there. These rules are huge. Each one clocks in at around 800 to 1,000 pages. So you could spend hours just talking about one if you really wanted to get into the nitty gritty of each thing. But for PFS, this generally governs payment in the outpatient physician's office side of things. So non-hospital outpatient clinics. And we in the past have had a lot of the kind of bigger issues, priority issues for us come through PFS including the issues around incident two billing for pharmacists. This year, there weren't any changes for incident two billing, although we are still working on that issue with CMS. The big changes for CMS for 2023 are really around telehealth. So I think CMS is still grappling with how they are going to wind down the public health emergency for COVID and what they're going to do with the major flexibilities that were rolled out during the height of the PAG. So under the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2022, CMS has to continue these telehealth services that were allowed under the flexibilities for a certain amount of time. It's up to 151 days after the end of the COVID-19 public health emergency. The thing is, they're kind of telegraphing in their rule that they do want to maintain a lot of these flexibilities. I think one of the things they're struggling with is they feel there needs to be what they keep referring to as guardrails around the services. They don't want overutilization. They want checks and balances. They want to avoid any fraud waste or abuse issues. So they're trying to figure out how to 
kind of fence these in so that they feel comfortable with a much broader and deeper virtual health space than they had in 2019. So we are seeking feedback from members on this issue, particularly around utilization of certain telehealth services, what they're seeing the most utilization of, whether they can actually utilize telehealth codes effectively, and if the reimbursement associated with those codes, if there's even any, particularly for audio-only codes and things like that, if that reimbursement levels are sustainable or if they need to be modified, and just generally what we want the framework to look like longer term, because I think this is a kind of key time to weigh in with CMS to say, this is what has really worked for us the last couple of years. This is what it's not working. And this is what we want to maintain. There's also some stuff in the PFS about vaccine provision and reimbursement. So one of the things that came out of COVID was a new focus on trying to maintain regular vaccinations for Medicare beneficiaries, because the vaccine provision levels dropped pretty precipitously during COVID other than for the COVID vaccine. So, you know, just standard immunization rates really dropped over the whole spectrum. So one of the things CMS is looking at doing is maintaining a higher level payment for vaccine provision to try to make sure that people can offer the service, especially in rural and underserved areas. CMS also clarified that payment policies for vaccine and monoclonal antibody products for COVID-19 will remain in effect until the EUA for drugs and biological products is terminated, regardless of when the public health emergency actually ends for COVID-19. So that reimbursement framework will stay in effect. And then the one other thing I wanted to mention, because we'd already got a little bit of feedback on this piece from some members, there was law passed in 2021 that requires manufacturers to provide a refund to CMS for certain discarded amounts of refundable single-dose container or single-use package of drugs once the waste reaches a certain threshold. So CMS is really trying to figure out how to implement this. So they want to look at how to determine the discard amounts, define which drugs should be included, and creating a notification system for manufacturers, as well as developing a refund calculation system and enforcement process. We're looking for member feedback on this broadly. We've heard from folks that one of the things they really don't want to see is that pharmacists be charged with doing this because it apparently is very unwieldy in certain situations. So folks have things they want us to consider pushing up to the CMS level if there are things that really shouldn't happen or there are drugs that are particularly problematic around wastage. Do let us know that so that we can kind of work that feedback into our comments. And then the PFS rule goes on for a number of other pages. It covers the ongoing implementation of electronic prescribing of controlled substances, which CMS is maintaining status quo for until 2025 when it's going to start implementing more punitive sanctions. And they're also rolling out a chronic pain management services bundled service code. And this is another place where we're seeking member feedback because it does include things like medication management, communication and coordination between relevant practitioners, which often falls to pharmacists. So we really do want to make sure that we have some information to share with CMS about how this might be workable or not workable in the physician office and clinic space. So moving on to ops, the big news this year in ops is 340B. So in the rule itself, you're not going to see a change that CMS made in 2019 where they dropped payment for 340B drugs from ASP plus six to ASP minus 22.5%. And that is because when the Supreme Court found in favor of hospitals and said CMS had overstepped when it made the payment cuts without conducting a survey of actual acquisition costs, it happened too close to the time CMS was going to published the proposed rule and they didn't have time to adjust it. So what they said in the proposed rules, look, we recognize that the Supreme Court case is going to require us to remedy 
the underpayments. So essentially, CMS is going to have to find a way to make hospitals whole for the amounts they would have been paid at that ASP plus six rate from 2019 to 2022. And they said, we're going to, in the final rule, we are going to bump payment back up for 340 baby dogs to ASP plus six. It's just not reflected in the proposed rule because of the timing of the case. The kind of bigger issue here, though, that CMS is grappling with is how to remedy those underpayments. And the, the kind of wrench in the works is that when CMS instituted the payment reduction, it did it in a budget neutral way. So instead of just holding back that money as a pot, what it would have paid in ASP plus six and said, you know, it only paid ASP minus 22.5%, that margin, they didn't keep it anywhere. They funneled it back into payment on the outpatient side for ops. And so you've got kind of a conundrum for folks, especially folks who might be split in a big health system where they have some hospitals that qualify for 340B and other facilities that don't. And so you don't want to see your outpatient payment for services drop, even if you are getting back the money that you were losing on the 340B side. So we want to kind of find a way to suggest to CMS how to remedy the situation. We're going to have to work with AHA and other groups to make sure we're on the same page. We have gotten some feedback from folks that were working into our comments, but we are going to seek additional feedback on how best to do this in a way that will ensure folks do get what they're owed, but also in a way that doesn't disrupt other established service provision. And then a couple of other things on ops. One of the things that CMS is doing is trying to find ways to support domestic manufacturers of certain healthcare products, and in particular, domestic produced N95s. So they're looking at a payment adjustment in both the hospital outpatient and inpatient settings for these domestically produced N95s because they do know they are more expensive than the ones that are purchased from foreign sources. So they're looking at making biweekly lump sum payments to hospitals that are then reconciled at cost report settlement. And I think there's a recognition that at the end of the day, this isn't a huge amount of money, but it's about trying to maintain a pipeline of suppliers so that we aren't running into the same problems that we did at the outside of the pandemic pandemic where you couldn't get an N95 for love or money. So that's kind of one of the other big pieces here. And then there are another other provisions. One is about making sure that rural sole community hospitals are site neutral. They're exempt from site neutral payment. CMS over the past couple of years has instituted site neutrality payment, dropping the ops payment rate to match PFS, which is 40%. That's 40% of the ops rate. So it's a pretty significant cut. So now rural sole community hospitals will be exempted from those changes and they will be paid at the full ops rate. So that's good news for them. And then finally, there are some changes to payment for non-opioid pain management as a way for CMS to try to get at ensuring that there is an incentive for the use of non-opioid pain management drugs. So there's separate payment that's proposed for four drugs that function as surgical supplies. And I am not a pharmacist, so I will not even attempt to pronounce these. They're in our issue brief and we will be seeking people back on all of that as well. So that's kind of everything in a nutshell. I know that it was a lot of information, but these rules are massive and it's everything for the whole next year. Well, thank you, Joanne. I know that there's obviously a lot going on through the regulatory agencies and CMS in particular, obviously a lot going on in Congress. Watch for updates from ASHP, where our government relations team will share with you any breaking news on any of these topics. We'll also put a link to the issue brief that Joanne mentioned in the show notes for this podcast. And thank you so much for listening. Thanks, Joanne. Thanks. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. 
If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.